0: This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Hello, and welcome to Bookmark This, a Straits Times podcast in which we talk about books in the headlines and recommend to you new reads. I'm Olivia Ho, and I'm joined today by my co host, To Lee. Hello. We're coming up to International Women's Day on March the 8th and uh, this is also the year of celebrating SG women as declared by the government. So it is probably fitting that we do a feminist episode, although I like to think that we are always feminist in all the things that we do. Anyway, um, this has been a good opportunity for us to talk about the classics. Uh, Most of the literary canon is dominated by works written by men. So this episode, we would like to highlight some of the recent attempts by women to translate or rework these very male-centric classics and to gloss them with a feminist slant. So we're going to be talking about Emily Wilson's groundbreaking English translation of the Homeric epic, The Odyssey, Ayoka Matsuda's retelling of Japanese ghost stories and where the wild ladies are, and the latest translation to burst onto the scene, which is Maria Devana Headley's rendition of Beowulf. Very exciting. I'm very excited because because I could go on and on about Beowulf. Anyway, uh, some background on Beowulf, people who um, haven't read it. It is the oldest known long poem in the English language, written somewhere in the 10th or 11th century. It survives today only in the manuscript known as the Noel Codex. Uh, Most heroic epics are pretty manly, and this is very, this is the manliest of manly poems, in my opinion. So a brief rundown of the plot. There's a hero. He's called Beowulf. He comes from a people called the Geats. He travels to Denmark to help King Hrothgar of the Danes. Uh, Hrothgar has this hall called Herod, which has been menaced for 12 years by a monstrous being called Grendel. Grendel lives in a mere nearby, and he really hates the sound of people partying, and he will. So he's been for 12 years going to people's parties and eating them uh, like the worst geek crash ever. So Beowulf goes to um, um, say to Hrothgar that he's going to fight Grendel and he does so with his bare hands, which is a great idea because Grendel actually uh, is invulnerable to, to blades made of metal, to any kind of blade. And so Beowulf rips Grendel's arm off. Grendel flees back to his mirror where he dies. Then Grendel's mother, who lives in the mirror with him, shows up and takes a revenge, kills Hrothgar's best friend. So Beowulf has to go back to the mirror, dive to the bottom of the mirror, and fight her there. And he only just barely wins, because uh, the light of God shines on a magic sword on the wall, which he can use to kill her. And then Beowulf goes back home to the Geats with a lot of glory, and he eventually, through a series of um, glossed-over events, becomes king, grows old, and then he fights a dragon, which is menacing his kingdom, because someone stole a goblet from it's hard. And he kills the dragon, but he dies in the process. And that's kind of the end for the geats. This is a poem that has been translated countless times. I think every English lit student has probably had to do it. Did you have to do it?
1: I did, yeah, I sent through a couple of old English classes at uni <laughs> trying to translate now <laughs> It's like a totally different language
0: Yeah, so it's, um, and it's, the poem itself is not really what you expect It's kind of, it's very meandering It's uh, very exciting, but it also goes on these long detours It's like reading a Wikipedia entry except that you keep clicking on all the links to find out the next page and then then you come back to the original page Anyway, um, many translations J.R. Tolkien has done it He's done the Poetry He's done the prose version. Seamus Haney very famously did it in uh, 2000. It's very landmark translation for reasons we will go into later. Uh, so it is pretty hard to distinguish yourself in this field. And then now we have Maria Davana Hitley. Uh, she's a novelist from America. She has this incredibly radical and polarizing translation. Uh, every Beowulf translation hinges, uh, I think it's agreed, on the first word of the poem, which is "wet." <laughs> And think uh, this is how we do it in Anglo-Saxon. The first line goes, "Hwæt, we Gardena in yrdagum, Frunon, Hugh the hūðað and So you get an idea of how um, distant it is, even though it is still English, from the language we are speaking today. "Hwæt" uh, over the years has been translated variously as "listen," "lo," "attend," "hark," and famously, uh, Seamus Heaney translated it as the very matter of fact. So. Now, Hedley translates it as bro, <laughs> <laughs> and in so doing, she sets the tone for her translation, which is very bro-speak, riddle machismo, tub talking vaunting, um, flighting language. Flighting is, a old, is an Anglo-Saxon tradition, which is very quite similar to the freestyle rap battles of today. So, Hedley's translation both revels in and satirizes the masculine aggression of heroic language, and I think there is no better way to do this than to read from her translation the first few lines bro tell me we still know how to speak of kings in the old days everyone knew what men were brave bold glory bound only stories now But i'll sound the spear danes song hoarded for hungry times their first father was a foundling shield sheafing He spent his youth fists up, browbeating every Barstool brother, bonfiring his enemies. That man began in the waves, a baby in a basket, but he bootstrapped his way into a kingdom, trading loneliness for luxury. Whether they thought kneeling necessary or no, everyone from head to tail of the whale road bent down. There's a king, there's his crown. That was a good king.
1: It's quite something,
0: isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> very colloquial. It's very yeah. uh, got a lot of twenty first century slang. I feel like somewhere in here there's the word swole. Uh There's this line that I love, which goes, "We all know a boy can't daddy until his daddy's dead."
1: What <laughs> do you think Tokyo would have reacted to all this? Scrolling red RSVPs in the sky, I think one, one, one line goes.
0: <laughs> he would have hated it. Uh, Tolkien was very, um, he believed that if you want to do a respectful translation, you, a literary translation, you have to do it very respectfully. And uh, he pursued this very archaic, I think, language. Uh, and uh, so I think every time I read the word bro, I imagine Tolkien just spinning in his grave. <sighs> But I do, uh, I don't love all of it. I think some of it is a bit gimmicky. Uh, but I love the overall brashness of it and how close it comes to the swagger of the original, which I think a lot of translations tend to lose out on. They tend to go for this very, you know, old-fashioned, old-timey, uh, prestige language. Uh, but actually, this is, uh, you know, the kind of, it's a very pulpy poem. This poem where people rip people's arms off. Uh, so I'm going to read another line. Let me see. So I'm going to read, this is the end, (laughs) where Beowulf has died. They did all this grieving the way men do, but bro, no man knows, not me, not you, how to get to goodbye. His guys tried. They remembered the right words. Our king, lonely ring wielder, inheritor of everything. He was our man, but every man dies. Here he is now, here our best boy lies. He rode hard, he stayed thirsty, he was the man. He was the man.
1: He was
0: the man, yes. So Hedley has previously written a novel called The Male Wife in 2018, and she wrote it from the point of view of Grendel's mother. She interprets her as someone with PTSD who is um, a, veteran, a war veteran. Uh, and it's really fascinating the choices she makes here with the female characters in her translation. So there are very few female voices in Anglo-Saxon poetry. Of course, we do not really know the genders of um any of the poets because all of this was anonymous. Um, but we mostly tend to assume that they are male because they were always writing about war. Uh, Hedley protests this. she says that, you know, there's no reason why a woman couldn't write about war. Uh, but in the canon, of Anglo-Saxon poetry, there are at best two poems that we can argue were written from a woman's point of view. One of them is called The Wife's Lament. It's about an abandoned wife. And the other is Wolf and Edwaka. Uh, the L- Wife's Lament is uh, in the tradition that we call the frown lead. And the Wolf and Edwaka is a riddle. You no know, one really you knows it's very confusing and not really sure what's happening there there are actually quite a few female characters in beowulf uh grendel's mother being the most prominent uh the monstrosity of her is what is of the foregrounded in earlier translations uh, some examples Tolkien calls her an inhuman troll wife a uh, haney uh, swamp thing from hell tarn hag a bit rude <laughs> Uh, in the 2007 Robert Zemeckis film, she is played by Angelina Jolie as a sexy golden seductress who doesn't fight Beowulf instead she sleeps with him. Um, I think notably my old English professor really hated this movie. It was written oh, by Julian. So, so did I. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> That's <was> awful. <laughs> So Hedley chooses to portray Grendel's mother as a warrior woman, uh, one who is exacting a blood price for the death of a son. This is something that is legal under Anglo-Saxon law. If you kill somebody else's uh, somebody else's son, they have the right to come in, you know, demand money or to kill you. Um, who and she is actually, you know, very quite old. She's at least as old as Hrothgar, uh, and. Despite her age and her outlaw status, she is shown to be equally matched with Beowulf. And he only wins the battle with her because God chooses to help him by showing him the sword on the wall. It's also worth noting that in this translation, the dragon is also depicted as female uh, then there are the other women who are scattered throughout the poem. There are lots of queens, uh, Hrothgar's wife, Wealthia, um, his daughter, Freawaru, and uh, the queens in the myths. Um, and they play the role of cupbearers and peaceweavers. So these are the women who go about the banquet hall negotiating diplomatic ties. It's actually quite an important part of society as well, even though it's not you know, shown in the way that war is. And at the end of the poem, there is an unnamed Geetish woman who mourns Beowulf's death, uh, not especially because she's very sad about Beowulf, but because she knows that with him gone, uh, neighboring countries can then invade them. And that will mean impending war, which will be hardest on the women. So bottom line, I think I love it. It's not what most people are used to, but there are so many other translations of Beowulf in the year of 2020, which is when this came out. I think it's about time that we had one like this. Now, if you like what you're listening to, subscribe to our podcast series. Bookmark this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating too. Back to our show and on to our next book. So there have been a lot of feminist rewrites of the classics through the years, but in the past few years, there has been a particular wave of them from the Greek classics side of things. And the person that kicked this off is generally considered to be Emily Wilson. Uh, In 2017, she became the first woman to publish an English translation of The Odyssey, which was, you know, at the time was groundbreaking.
1: Yeah, it's truly a beautiful translation. Well, The Odyssey is, I guess, the most famous Greek epic poem there is. Everyone who has any interest in Greek mythology, will have encountered the Odyssey at some point. But for the uninitiated, it's basically the story of um, the hero Odysseus, the king of Ithaca. And after the Trojan War has ended, it's time for him to go home. And this journey takes 10 years. And on this very long and arduous journey, he encounters many perils and adventures. Um, At the end of it, he does get home um, to be with his wife again, Penelope. So one thing I thought was interesting about Wilson's translation was that it was written in iambic pentameter, um, which is the metrical form used in works by um, Shakespeare and Chaucer and so on. Um, she isn't the only translator to have done this. Um, I feel it was a great decision. It was um, um, very judicious because it really made the writing flow more naturally. Um, there are some points, um, some decisions she made, which I just want to highlight here because it's just so fascinating. Um, there is one passage where I think this, this is um, book 21, where Odysseus is back at home, and um, there's a description of Penelope, his faithful wife. Um, she's about to go to the storeroom to get the bow and axes before the suitors' contest begins, and she picks up the key to the storeroom. And in this particular instance, Homer describes a hand with a Greek word that means thick. Now, thick isn't a word we usually associate with femininity. It's not some a word we use to describe someone who is feminine qualities. And a lot of translators um, have skipped over this word. Robert Fagels, whose translation came out uh, quite a number of years ago, chose to just gloss over this word. And other people have opted for a translation like steady, calling it a steady hand instead of a thick hand. What Emily Wilson does here is she goes with muscular. So the line reads, her muscular, firm hand picked up the ivory handle of the key. And um, Wilson quite um, correctly notes that Weaving does make a person's hand more muscular. So she doesn't downplay the strength of Penelope. Um, She doesn't try to gloss over it. There is another scene um, in the poem involving Helen of Troy, where she says, um, The day the Greeks marched off to Troy, their minds fixated on the war and violence. They made my face the cause that hounded them. So hounded was an interesting word, I think, because the Greek original um, used a word that literally means dog face or dog eye. Previous translators have chosen to interpret this as um, shameless whore or bitch, um, and I think, and I think this is, um, and I think Wilsons perhaps saw this as being quite um, somewhat unnecessary. It was it was a case of them foisting these unnecessary connotations of female sexual destructiveness on a description that um, was otherwise fairly neutral. Um, so hounded, I think, was a pretty elegant way
0: of going around it if i recall the first line she gives it as tell me about a complicated man mm-hmm. and uh and i really love that uh i think it expresses a lot of what you know say today in the modern day as a woman you might feel reading the uh, a poem like the odyssey um Odysseus, he's this very fascinating character. He's he's clearly the hero at the center of He's intelligent, he's brave, but he's also done some very questionable things in the in the course of him getting home. And then once he gets home, of course, he kills all the suitors that are courting his wife. And not only that, he kills the he kills the mates that have slept with the suitors whether or not consensually we don't know and he his son hangs them all by the same rope which is very brutal uh and so Complicated is this, you know, sort of sums up the feelings you have towards this character. And that is the thing about translations. You can't go in and rewrite things, you know, because these are this is the way the poem was written originally with the mores and values of the time. But you can go in and try to gloss things differently with uh, different interpretations according to for where you're writing from. So Wilson's Odyssey led this wave of feminist classic rewrites which carried on through 2018 and 2019. Um, I'm thinking of books like The Silence of the Gulls by Pat Barker which was in our very first bookmark this episode Yes, and time flies So um, Silence of the Gulls was one Madeline Miller's Circe which narrates a lot of Greek myth from the point of view of the witch Circe who turns men into pigs and with whom Odysseus lives uh, on her island for a year it's one of my favourite books of 2018. Uh, More recently there has been Natalie Haynes A Thousand Ships which is is told from the point of view of all the women involved in the trojan war even the really minor ones uh, from the amazon princess penthesilia who is killed by achilles on the battlefields of troy to the prophetess cassandra who nobody believes uh to uh, a crucer who is the lost wife of the prince aeneas the hero of the aeneid uh, and she is lost in troy because uh, he you know goes to find his father and he doesn't come back for her and she dies in the flames uh it was shortlisted for the women's prize for fiction last year but lost to maggie O'Farrell's hamlet it's not the most original take on things i think because a lot of people have done this Uh, but it is quite compelling reading Uh, and i will read the first paragraph which i do like because i find it very relatable it's from the point of view of calliope the muse sing muse he says and the edge in his voice makes it clear that this is not a request If I were minded to accede to his wish, I might say that he sharpens his tone on my name, like a warrior dragging his dagger across a whetstone, preparing for the morning's battle. But I am not in the mood to be amused today. Perhaps he hasn't thought of what it is like to be me. Certainly he hasn't. Like all poets, he thinks only of himself. But it is surprising that he hasn't considered how many other men there are like him every day, all demanding my unwavering attention and support. How much epic poetry does the world really need? How much indeed? Now, crossing to another continent, we have Where the Wild well Ladies Are, a 2016 collection of short stories by Ayoko Matsuda, translated from Japanese to English by Polly Burton last year. Yes, yeah, so
1: this book is a contemporary feminist retelling of traditional Japanese ghost stories. It was a very breezy read. Um, I finished all 300 pages in nearly one sitting. Um, it features these strange, surreal, bite sized tales inspired by Japanese folklore. So we're often introduced to characters and narrators um, only to find out that these People are, in fact, um, ghosts, mythical beings, or in one story, in case of one story, um, a tree or fox woman. So, one of the standout stories for me was A Fox's Life, which is about a fox like woman who is smart and capable, but doesn't find a way to put her talents to good use. So, she applies for this boring, mundane job that she also happens to be good at, and she pares down her strength because she doesn't want to outshine the man around her. And she quite rightly observes that the male employees in the company had to pretend to be capable of doing things they couldn't do, while female employees had to pretend to be incapable of doing things they actually couldn't do. She gets married, becomes a mother, and um, in her 50s, she takes a mountain climbing, and for a brief moment, she magically becomes a fox and realizes how she had been betraying herself all along. Um, she remarks, over the years, how many women had seen their talents magically disappearing in that way? how many men had seen talents they didn't possess magically summoned into existence. So that's one story. There is another tale that stood out for me um, about a young woman whose boyfriend has just broken up with her. And on the day her boyfriend dumped her, um, she notices that she had forgotten to shave her body hair. So since then, she's been visiting this hair removal clinic to make herself more beautiful by basically plucking her hair out. And um, in one very strange encounter in this story, um, her dead aunt appears as a ghost and tries to knock some sense into her and says... Can't you see that it's pointless? Your hair is the only wild thing you have left, the one precious crop of wildness remaining to you. I want you to think long and hard about what you could do with it. Rather than getting all sore because you got dumped by some worthless scumbag, I want you to fight like Kiyohime did. Your hair is your power. So as you can tell, these stories don't quite make much sense. Uh, they're very surreal, very um, shrouded in the mystery. And um, they are seemingly disparate, but one thing that does connect them is um, many of the characters' association to um, a company run by a mysterious man called Mr. Tay. His name sounds oddly Chinese, um, but this is in Japan. And the employees of his company are all wild ladies, um, living women as well as dead ones, to so ghosts. Um, we're never quite told what kind of company what what this company actually does or what it actually is. So it's so that then it's still left very ambiguous. Um I would consider this to be a feminist collection of short stories, but there isn't any overarching message per se. Uh, Matsuda so that tends not to overexplain or push a particular message. But the the tales are just so intriguing and they offer so much food for thought. So yes, um, to be recommended if you've a free afternoon one of these days. It's worth dipping into these. Very strange tales who is kiyohime she is a woman in a in an 11th century buddhist tale um she falls in love with a buddhist priest but he doesn't return her love and she and because of that she becomes a servant demon well
0: not, not to be best with. <laughs> <laughs> yes that's what happens so you get friend zoned but i love that your hair is your power yes I feel like I, I want to say this. I every- appreciate it. I would. You can't see this, um, dear listeners. You can't see this now, but my hair is very long. And I every time someone you know tells me to cut it, I'm going to say this. My hair, your hair is, is my- your
1: power. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's all we have for us today. Once again, thank you for listening to us. I'm Olivia Ho, and I'm Towen Lee. You have been listening to our Bookmark This podcast, which you can subscribe to on your favorite smartphone audio apps. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Like us and rate us. Happy International Women's Day and we'll catch you next time. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast at sph.com.sg.